and welcome to episode 172 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, my friend, uh, how was your week? How's your weekend? How's everything going for you? Shane, I've had a great weekend. There's a new local game store down the street for me. What? what? Yeah. Uh, an L and L local GS? Yeah, well, it's they don't host games, they just sell games. It's a new Perfect. It's a new gaming goat. What? A new gaming goat wow. opened down the street for me and I went in there yesterday and I bought as you might see above me the Azorius Spirits Pioneer mm. Challenger deck. I, do I have one it. of those. Yeah. 20 bucks. Wow. Whoa, that's way... good pricing gaming goat. They have all the Challenger decks for $20. I wonder if I should get the other three. Yeah, just just flip those. That's just constantly half of what flip I paid them for the ones that I bought. Also, that's the Godfather, Dave Harbarger. Dave Harbarger, who pays pays too much for Challenger decks, apparently six <laughs> months ago. But you know, I've had them for a while, so that's good. Yeah, you got you got time value out of those, Dave. I, I really have enjoyed just clutching them close. On this week's show, we're going to give some early impressions of how the new cards from Streets of New Capenna are impacting our formats. We're gonna talk about modern pioneer and even explore explorer a little bit i mean probably more than anything almost that's like the format i've been playing the most spoiler people aren't going to be happy to know that but that's probably true for me at least since last week so yeah we're gonna also kick off with a breakdown of two different challenges one in pioneer another in modern and then we're going to do our best to focus on the new cards from new capenna that are appearing in decks in tournaments and then in the dive down we're going to talk about what we've been playing as we try to test new cards Give some of our first impressions on Explorer, see what's caught our eye and imagination in the first, what is it, five days since we've had access to new cards? At most, it might be four, three and a half. Yeah. I guess, I guess, when do they hit MTGO? Tuesday? Thursday? Wednesday, I think. Okay. Thursday. So four to five days. Yeah. Data was slim going into this episode in terms of what to play, but we let our imaginations and our hearts guide us. Yeah. We really didn't know what else to talk about that people would want to hear this week right so we're going in with our own experiences i thought we'd just do a follow-up episode like six better ways to get better even better at magic yeah like you know level threes because i mean i i thought we just left a lot on the table there i thought that you know we didn't talk about hydration we didn't talk about bringing granola bars we didn't talk about snacks we didn't talk about bringing light up play mats yeah i'd love to start a part two of that episode and kick it off with forget everything you've ever heard about how to improve at magic the gathering yeah Oh, yeah. Some real clickbait. That's that's the title, though. I mean, people will touch that title for sure. They will digitally touch that title. What Platinum Pros don't want you to know. Number four will shock you. Yeah. Before we get through our clickbait listicles, let's get through some housekeeping. Shout out to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation. We got Tristan C. and Jacob L. Thank you both. We also got a couple of new reviews. One from Einherjar23 and another from Grixis TCG. Grixis TCG, not sure that you should take us on a first date or to a children's birthday party, but uh, we are happy to help you become a middling to average player. Absolutely, that that is our mission. You've nailed it. Thank you for taking the time to review us. So they're better than us already. Mm. Yeah. And and I heard, Jar, you, you mentioned you want to try to get some more Pioneer local events in Chicago. Check out this new gaming goat on Irving Park, right by Joe's. David, remember when they, when they opened that scary LGS that looked like a trap? It was sort of like an angry guy. Yeah, an angry guy who just opened baseball cards and, and sold magic cards out of his old decks. Yes. It's literally directly across the street from them. Wow. 
it's, God, I'm so annoyed because I just moved away from two game stores just, just like away. facing one another. And one of them is, is really creepy and I would not recommend going into. And the other one is a charming gaming goat that sells a bunch of board games and stuff. Creepy game store. Get at us. <laughs> Sponsor our podcast. <laughs> I, I do live in a city with a good gaming gaming store now, at least. But I waited forever for a store to open in that that neighborhood that I used to, in Irving Park over there. And uh, wow, just after I left, so just after happens. I left. So as Dan mentioned, we have a couple new patrons this week. If you'd like to join the Dive Down Nation, become a citizen of the nation, get into our definitively discreet Dive Down Discord, get some swag coming your way. Uh, you can go over to Patreon.com. Slash the dive down. And, you know, like we say, a little as a buck a week is kind of the, the entry level. If you want to do that, that's awesome. If you don't, we will always be here for you free. You uh, help keep us going. You help support the content we create and uh, support kind of the stuff that we get to make. Like, you know, these deck boxes that are eventually coming our way. We have other projects that we have worked on through your help, upgraded our gear, been able to you know, attend a tournament here and there that we wouldn't otherwise be able to get to and cover. So we appreciate all of you all out there. And if you'd like to support us while playing Magic Online, you can check out Manitraders, of course. Manitraders.com is the best way to rent Magic cards to play your decks. It's what we use. It's what we've always used for testing here. And um, if you go there, sign up for the first time and use our code, the Dive Down 2022 you will get 15% off your first two months of rental cards. That's manatraders.com. Now, Stan, you have something exciting to talk to talk to people about a little bit today, right? David, you're right. I do. So when I'm holding up in my hands, the, the Twitch viewers can see it. The podcast listeners cannot. It's a giant pink Magic the Gathering branded backpack. The backpack collection groweth. That is the pinkest thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, let's be clear. It's... Like deep black with like pink piping and accents, and then giant sort of what armadillo like panels on the side. I mean, it's very Kamigawa vibe, right? And I think that's what the Neon collection D. is. Am I right? Neon density. That is correct. It is the densest backpack ever. People out there might be asking, did Stan get his hands on a Kamigawa platinum collection from Beetle and Grimm? And the answer is yes. I did not pay for it, but I did get my hands on one. A very generous gift. Right. Thanks to your recent work with Polygon.com. Hashtag sponsored. Yeah. I mean, so interesting. We didn't get, you know, you're not, we're not sponsored by Beetle and Grimm. So it's not like we got a placement from them, but you did receive this present from Polygon.com for your work recently covering magic for them. Correct. Yes. My, my very friendly and generous editor hooked me up. Um, and what we're going to do is give away some of the stuff that I received. Now, mind you, I am keeping some of the stuff because a bunch of it is amazing i got super a, sick i got a necklace i got a ogre's head necklace <laughs> it's good it's good <laughs> that's number one it's yes. bringing strong energy to the tournament tables with that guys i'm not even trying to be funny whenever i put it on my wife gives me the nastiest look <laughs> just, just so much hate in her eyes when i put it on um and i'm keeping it I got I got a light up play mat. I'm keeping that too. Light up play mat. I think you should Google this if you haven't seen one before because it is truly uh, a sight to see. It's it's incredible in the in the truest sense of the word. Yeah, yeah. But I do have plenty of stuff. I am excited to share details to come on exactly how we're going to distribute this. Going to try to do something fun, but I'll I'll hold it up for the camera and, and my co-host can describe some of what they're seeing. 
Oh, a lovely art print of one of the dragons. Oh, there's Junji. Two two dragons, three dragons. It's all the dragons. Is that the original magic art or is that like yeah, that's the original. That's not magic art. Okay. Yeah, these are ni- nice prints of the dragons. Correct. Really nice prints of the legendary dragons from, from Kamigawa. This, I think, is a really hot commodity. I'm, I'm going to have to stand up to, to show you what this is. It is a giant print of a map of Kamigawa. Oh, cool. That's, that's pretty cool, actually. Oh, it's big huge. It? Yeah. Put that in the living room. Hang your ogre head necklace <laughs> off of it so that you're... Yeah, that's wonderful. Isn't that ginormous? I think That's attractive yeah. and ginormous. I think this will look pretty nice framed if you like yeah. Kamigawa. I actually, I also got a giant print of the March of Otherworldly Light art. Oh, great. Oh, which one? They're, they're all pretty cool. The, the main one, not the alt one. Um, and I'm also keeping that. I'm going to frame that for my child's nursery because it's, it's so cute. Ah. Here's another thing I'm giving away that I think people will really enjoy. A dual deck deck box. Nice. With like the pink neon piping. That's right. I've been I've been testing it out myself just to make sure it works. Look at this. It, <laughs> it does in fact hold cards. It stores it stores two hundred card commander decks. Oh, nice. With plenty of room for other stuff. Uh, and then it's got the second compartment in the middle, or it's a third compartment that you can put dice and 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 tokens and little life wheels. You know, reminders to yourself. Yeah. Whatever. Little, whatever you need to hide. <laughs> notes for later. Yeah. Cliff bars. That's great, Stan. I mean, I think that what, what we'll probably do. So, what, are we encouraging people today to like maybe keep an eye on our Twitter? If yeah, they want to participate in the in the giveaway. Yeah. Last but not least, I got sleeves. We'll give away some some pretty nice mm. art matte sleeves. Uh, Who makes those? It, it's branded Beetle and Grim. Wow. Yeah, but they're clear, right? So it's not like you know how sometimes like the Eclipse sleeves are a little opaque. They're a little, yeah. These are more like dragon shields. They're totally clear. And the back with the art is, is um, there's a lot yeah. of friction on it. Yeah, so you nice. don't have to worry about your cards slipping and sliding the first time you <laughs> shuffle it over at, a, at the LGS and be like, oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, new sleeves. <laughs> first sleeves. Yeah, new sleeves. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So uh, if you're not already following us, go over to twitter.com slash the dive down. You can find us there uh, just or search the dive down or whatever way you have to find us on Twitter. Bing. And we'll try to engage you there. Duck, duck, go. We're going to do a bunch of giveaways. It's not just going to be one person gets the sweet stash. We'll try to just share the wealth with as many people as possible. Void where prohibited. Yeah, terms and conditions may apply. You can send Stan a self-addressed stamp envelope to enter if you don't want to purchase. I kind of only want to give this away to people in the lower 48th because mailing mailing outside of the country can be hard. Yeah. We'll t- we'll post some restrictions like that on Twitter probably when we figure out how we're going to determine who gets this. Unfortunately, yeah. but just but, but, just go and follow us there. Keep an eye out for it. We'll we'll tweet something about it in the next week or so. Well, this has been some great audio material. Yep. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to just tee this over, uh, tee this up to Dave, who's going to start us over on the news desk this week. Yep. I'm going to get into the breakdown today. Um, so we thought that we would start with a Pioneer Challenge for this week. I know that many people in the nation recently have been paying attention to Pioneer. I know uh, Stan and Shane have both been playing some Pioneer. I've mostly been observing still to this point, but we thought we would go through this uh, challenge. It's Saturday, April 30th challenge, because there was some interesting stuff about this one. We're going to start right off at the top. We're just going to go down through the top 32 meta talk about some notes, what's we, what we think about what's going on, and look for new cards from Streets of New Capenna here. And in first place in this Pioneer Challenge, we had Hirosakai, 
on <gasps> Mono Blue Spirits. Whoa. It finally won. They finally won one with Mono Blue Spirits. No new cards in this. Oh, actually, three unlicensed hearse in the sideboard, I should say. So there were there were some new cards in, in this oh, one. Nice. Little graveyard hates and a little uh crew too that you can use if you want to make a giant creature. But you know what? I love this deck. I'm gonna play this deck. I know that nobody does well with it other than Hirotsukai, but um I love all these cards. I just want to play Curious Obsession. Is that so wrong? No, it's just it's just right. No right. rules. I have a Curious Obsession with Curious Obsession. Um, any thoughts? Dave, it's my favorite Devo song. Yeah. So um, the Unlicensed Hearse is interesting because I don't think they've really had like good aggressive graveyard hate in the past in this deck. No, I don't remember seeing any before. Besides artifacts, but you know. Yeah. Because you can't play creature artifact. Can't play Scoos. And Dave, do you know off the top of your head how easy is it, is it to convert a Challenger deck to this one? Because this is like one of Pioneer's cheapest strategies at this point. So the deck does not have Ascendant Spirit in it. It does not have, but it does have Mausoleum Wanderer and Rattle Chains, I think. Uh, and it does have Supreme Phantom. You'd likely just be better off just like clicking Add to Cart on TCG and just buying it, right? No, if if you can get one for twenty bucks, it's probably worth it for the Rattle Chains, Mausoleum Wander, and Supreme mm, Phantoms to so get okay. twelve of those. Because I bet those are two dollars a piece. I mean, remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and this was like a seventy dollar deck mm-hmm. in in paper. And I think if you can get a head start with those twenty cards and and go for it, plus then you also have a chance to move over into blue white if you want at some point in the future. So you can have it. There's a couple of spell quellers and things like that in there. There are brazen borrowers in that deck there's at least one yeah and that that helps too yeah i I also heard something really cool about playing this mono blue deck and why it runs geist snare instead of actual mana beak i i can't recall what other podcast i heard this on but um definitely credit goes to someone that isn't us but if you go turn one one drop all right so in this case like it's ascendant spirit or spectral sailor turn two, play a land put the curious obsession on your one drop you can hold up your Geist Snare as a one-mana mana leak. That's great. Which seems pretty good. Uh, it's fantastic, yeah. I mean, so in some ways, you have six Spell Pierces available to you then, because really, that's what Spell Pierce is for as well. Mm-hmm. So I, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, yep, love this love this deck. I really would like it to be actually good. Let's see where it goes from here. I've got a curious obsession. Boom, boom, <laughs> boom. Second place, Las Vegas Chaos on Winota. It's a stock list. Um, from what I've seen, though, that was new to me anyway, is everybody just jamming Prosperous Innkeeper in these lists now. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense, of course. It's a ramp. It's another ramp spell, essentially, with your um, treasure token. You can gain some life off of it, and also it is not a human, so it gives you a... Yep, it is a citizen of the Dive Donation. Uh, it's a halfling citizen, is what it is, so it gives you a... Um, it's not a human citizen, so you get that Winota trigger when you attack with it later on. Third place, Ale MTG, blue-white control, it's pretty much stock, but it's Yorian, so we've talked in the past about how some of these decks run Yorian, some of them don't. From my view in the bleachers you know not playing a ton of pioneer right now it seems like i see more yorian lists in mm-hmm. these uh these high-end results like challenges and stuff like that but just worth noting that this is a yorian version fateful absence i've also seen both here and an explorer right now out of these blue blue white decks i guess mostly to get rid of resolved planeswalkers i know that most people think that card is bad generally speaking like kind of kind of like the worst of all possible worlds of a removal spell but i think it's kind of a necessary evil right now especially uh, with where planeswalkers are going these days 
For sure. Like it just allows you to trade up on mana, even though you get the investigate. So like sometimes it's just like if if my opponent is gonna have a, a Chandra or like a Soren is gaining so much value, like we just have to remove this thing. Yeah. And the and the card off the top is potentially worse than a Chandra in that matchup. Yep. Absolutely. Fourth place, Sandy Dog MTG. Well known player. Uh guess what? Sandy Dog's playing mono red. Surprise, surprise there. Uh, I think this is a deck that you two have played here and there, but haven't really picked up since we were in um, Dallas, right? That is correct, yeah. What do you think about this deck? I mean, I know that you, you guys, have you guys faced it much in Pio lately, or? I have faced, I faced variants in Explorer, and while being less powerful than this, I think they have game. And we'll talk more about that, I think, when we kind of get into the dive down segment. But I think this this deck does what it, does consistently and um i think that sandy dog's list here definitely focuses it doesn't try to go into like sort of the mid-range like with like multiple chain whirlers and torbrins it's more lower to the ground the more i play with chandra dressed to kill in both historic and in explorer i actually haven't played her in true pioneer yet i know you have stan but the plus one to ping and add a red mana is just the peanut butter to the spectacles chocolate. Like it just works so nicely. It it's just it's it's a perfect like one two combination with so many things. Um, and even if you don't have a spectacle card, plusing up to add an additional red mana when these decks run 22 lands, then you can cast like an additional spell for prowess trigger. You get that additional play with fire, or you just get another one, like one drop onto the board. And it really does a lot for a little. Yeah. Worth noting that this deck has 24 single mana spells in that spot. So if you have plus it to do damage, you know, there's eight spectacle cards and then there's uh eight four other cards four sets of four of other cards that you could play with that single mana which is very nice for sure like you said to be able to play this out on three and then drop something else as well i do love chandra dressed to kill fifth place mcwin sauce another excellent magic online player uh, that we're all familiar with on mono green devotion to me this is a pretty normal deck i think but what do you think about it no, this 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 is weird. Like I looked at it, and then and then I was like, "What's going on here?" They have three branch loft pathway, and they have four temple garden for a white splash, and the white splash is supporting sideboard cards, two portable hole, a Tulsimir friend to wolves, which is the two green green white elf scout. That essentially what makes a couple permanents, gains you some life, does a little bit of removal. So it's kind of a good anti-aggressive card, which this deck does need a little bit of shoring up against uh, some aggressive strategies I've found. And then Cloud Steel Kirin. Two and a white artifact creature equipment Kirin. It's one of those reconfigure cards. It's a 3-2 flyer. And if you equip it, it gives the equipped creature flying and the text, you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game. So what's that's the, the Platinum Angel text. Is that correct? Yes, basically. Yeah. Okay. So what I find perhaps weird about this is like I'm trying to figure out what this is doing. Because it does not do the thing that that Angel token card or Angel counter card does, right? Like it doesn't just like sort of lock the opponent out. 
I think it's to combo with Nissa who shakes the world's ultimate. Where if you can ultimate Nissa and then grab the Cloud Steel Cure and put it on an indestructible land, you've locked out your opponent. No, they could just have artifact removal and kill the kill the artifact. I mean, excuse, kill the uh, equipment. They could they could just kill Cloud Steel Karen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's then a, they need artifact removal, right? I think yeah. it's just a cool option to be able to grab with Karn. Yeah. Basically, you know, it's just pretty interesting. And portable hole is an interesting thing to be able to grab with Karn as well. So you can run a, a game plan where if you don't think they have artifact removal, or if they're in a spot where they're not going to have access to it, then being able to lock them out is a good good move. This is just yeah. a bunch of novel. Uh, a bunch of novel Karn targets to me. Of course, Tolsamir is not a Karn target, but yeah. It's just kind of value. Yeah, I didn't actually catch that. I didn't remember that these are then Karn tutorable. I was like, well, yeah. I guess they're just kind of value options, but like you could run a lot of things in the spot of Portable Hole, but being able to tutor it is really good. Yeah, speaking of other weird things that are Karn tutorable, what's up with Pestilential Cauldron in the side of this deck? Is this... Also, because it's Karn tutorable, and then you cast the back side of it, you cast the green sorcery side instead of the artifact, or do you actually want the artifact sometimes? So you can win, you can combo with this. Okay. Stan, have you seen this combo? You're experienced with it? Yes, I, I, I actually scooped to someone after they presented the loop to me yesterday. Yeah, please, and then explain it. You're fresher than I am. What's interesting about it is that when my opponent did the loop, they used a Heart of Kieran, which is not yes, present. Yes, that's... That's a good. That's a good way to do it. It's a little bit easier. It's, it's tutorable. not present here, but in general, you um, can create a loop if you have um, Karn and I think Kiara and you have to have multiple because like the way basically you use a legendary rule to effectively and you have, to, you have enough, make enough mana and you have like two Kioras and two Karns available to you and you can like you effectively can. Gain a bunch of life, I think, and then you cast the backside of Pestilent Cauldron, which like mills your opponent for how much life you've gained. And so it's it's a certain way of if you have access to a very particular board and graveyard state. What's interesting about the, the way the Heart of Kirin works is it does not require you to have a legendary rule issue because you can just keep crewing Heart of Kirin to kill your planeswalker and then get it back out of the graveyard. So that's how it kind of gets around that legendary thing. What are you guys talking about? How does this work? It's super confusing, and it takes five million clicks. I actually think it may be the clickiest combo I've ever seen. Because the backside of, of Pestilent Cauldron for, is called Restorative Burst, and it just pulls two cards back in your hand, and then it exiles itself. Okay, so here's here's how this really works, okay? This is, this is from a conversation two weeks ago. You cast the backside that gains you four life and gets back two walkers, Karn and Kiora. With a Karn in play and possibly Kiora, and you have like nine mana available, you can cast Karn, get back the exiled cauldron with Karn, use Kiora to untap Nykthos. You do this loop until you and your opponent have gained life equal to or greater than the opponent's library. Then you cast the cauldron and use the ability to have the OP mill cards from the top of their library for life. Uh, for the game, uh, the life you gain this turn. So I had it actually a little bit backwards. I the apologize. second, the second mode of Pestilent Cauldron says one tap each opponent mills cards equal to the amount of life you gain this turn. So you try to gain so much life off of Restorative Burst that you mill your opponent's deck in a single turn. Yes, and you can. The interesting thing is that that Pestilent Cauldron, uh, excuse me, Restorative Burst exiles itself, which then allows you to get it back with Karn because it's an exiled card outside the game. That is some weird stuff. Okay. 
I don't know who figured that one out. It's for long games. Like yeah. this is this deck isn't trying to get to this state. It's kind of in there when you've like hit a wall against a particularly grindy opponent, and then you basically find an opening to like cast this and don't have to worry about um, a counterspell or something else. Wow, this deck. I hate mono green devotion. Okay. I'm curious. I want to I want to pick McWinsoss's brain to see what they felt about this white splash. It's the first time I've seen this in this deck. So, well, he does talk to people on Twitter, so go ahead and reach out. Yeah, I mean, I will say mono green devotion is my most played against deck in Pioneer right now. I feel like it's incredibly powerful and incredibly popular, and it's barring any significant changes that come from New Capenna, I feel like this is kind of the deck to beat right now as well as Winota, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get to Winota in a moment. Yeah, people have been really gravitating toward it. And, and it's tough. Like, Cavalier of Thorns and Old Growth Troll, are, are they're friggin' hard to kill. Um, excuse my language. Sixth place, Mariel Marcos on Is It Phoenix. The one new card that we've seen in this top eight, I believe, is the single Strangle that has made it into this, this deck's main list. Other than that, I don't remember seeing any other Capenna cards in this particular top eight, but there's more to talk about with that, too. Seventh place. Wow, I'm not going to say this. XF13RC, we see you, uh, on Winota. Oh, the other card that was in this top eight that was new, I forgot about this. A two of Rocco Cabaretti Caterer in Winota. Cool. Yeah, why not? Naya gets a, another creature. Yeah. If you get a bunch of mana, you can go get something else. Like, say you want to go directly to getting your Hunt Master this way, you can just go do it. Rocco is an elf, not a human, even though you might think a caterer from, you know, Cabaretti. I don't know. It's also, they have an Ornithopter in here, so you can play Rocco for three, grab the Ornithopter, and that's another Winota trigger when the Ornithopter oh, sure is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get those zero drops. Interesting to me is that the card that they, it looks like they shaved for this is Fable of the Mirror Breaker. So I think that most Winota lists, I feel like I had seen, have had four Fable in them, and this one is cut down to two in order to fit some of these other things in it. So people still innovating on this list. For three mana, you get two permanents. Mm-hmm. Why not? Yep. Yep. Totally. I mean, hey, that's what we were saying the other day. We just didn't, you know, with the food thing, we just didn't realize that it could happen with uh, here in Pioneer as well. The other thing that's interesting uh, for what it's worth is that I saw in 16th place in the same challenge, there was another player who was on Winota and they had four mages attendant main. This is the other piece of innovation that I saw in this. Well, mages attendant is the card that brings in a cat warrior and then also comes with a mage that you can sacrifice to make it to basically force spike something you know to make a um make a non uh non-creature spell cost one more mm-hmm. so it's a nice little onboard counter to help protect winota if you get into that situation as well stan said mono green devotion might be the deck to beat but i will say that this particular tournament the top 32 seven of the decks were winota decks and including in the top which is you know 25 percent of the meta basically this top eight also had two winota decks for to make it 25 percent of the top eight meta as well. yeah deck's good yeah now, eighth place, Super Cow, one, two, six, five, three, with another new card in it that I forgot we were going to talk about. So just forget what I said about not many new cards <laughs> in this top eight. No reason to have said that. Giada Font of Hope in here, making Selesnia Angels a thing in, uh, in Pioneer. Yeah, super, super strong card. And that's just, you know, if you've forgotten, it's the two mana, two, two with flying and vigilance that makes every, each other angel you control ETB with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it for each angel you already control. And if that wasn't enough, might as well be able to tap it to add white to cast an angel spell. That's a very powerful rare. 
Yeah, incredible card. And this one is also running. Interestingly, this book, this one is also running the Book of Exalted Deeds, a Mutavault combination as well. So it's it's even kind of doing a little bit of having a uh, you know a control plan, not a control plan, but a, a really oppressive plan. plan, a lockout plan. Yeah, thank you. That kind of idea as well. So there's there's a lot going on with this Angel stack now. Yeah, Dave, you're a graphic designer. Is that Times New Roman on Giada, or it's it's not Papyrus? <laughs> wait, wait, where oh. where's the typeface? <laughs> the oh, font, font of hope. Of hope. Um, you know, I think that my font of hope is Helvetica, but everybody sees their own thing. Papyrus. Papyrus. Yeah. Good stuff. Good, good pun, Stan. I love it. All right. So let's talk about some other notable things out, outside of the top eight. Well, well, first, actually, what do you guys think about that top eight? How's it sound? Is interesting? Where, where are your heads at right now? It's diverse. One, two, three. Yeah. It's like, yeah, seven, seven, seven decks. decks. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think pine. Pioneer is like very close to being really darn good. I think what's interesting, I mean, it's really darn good, I think, in general. But what's, I think what's interesting here is like uh, Format Menace Lotus Field has not shown up here. We did get, I mean, pe- I think the, the one that's right behind, if not in front of it, would be Winota, would be people's kind of number one, enemy number one. Worth noting that there were two Lotus Field decks in the top 32 but neither one of them was very highly placed. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Pioneer is it's it's an interesting time because enough people are at their typewriters, you know, typing stuff, and that they're gonna they're gonna create the next great American novel. Uh, which this is a str- this is a strained metaphor for a lot of people are playing it, and we're gonna I think see more and more what's winning, how people are iterating, what the new cards of New Capenna do. There's a lot of forces at work in pioneer right now and i think that's a really great place to be i'd love to just take a second to stand for fable of the mirror breaker sure i've played a lot with it this weekend first time i've really cast the card yeah you know it wasn't until we started looking at pioneer again that i've come face to face with this card and a it's super popular in the format and b it's fantastic it's just it does so much even that first mode like the two two that makes a treasure every time it attacks is like you have to. You kind of want to have to kill the token sometimes because it generates so much free mana for them. I just keep thinking about it. Like, I mean, it has lots of pieces of the buffalo that make fit make it a fit for different kinds of decks, right? Yeah. But I just keep looking at it, thinking about it, like it's season pyromancer. Basically, I'm like, okay, season pyromancer in a in some you know uh, formats that don't have access to that card. Three mm-hmm. drop that gives you two creatures and lets you faithless looting is pretty great. You know, unless you faithless rummage, I guess realistically, but yeah, yeah, and, and then the end state, if they don't interact with your tokens and things like that, where in let's say Rakdos mid or something like that, where you have a resolved Kroxa and right. you're just you're copying Kroxa or something bonkers like that, or even less bonkers, like just anything like a uh, a flipped over uh, whatever the the graveyard growler or whatever, yeah, yeah, the. The, the flipped version of ter- Trespass or anything like that, or a Bone Crusher Giant. There's just all sorts of stuff where it's like, yeah, I, I love copying this, and I love copying it to get you know an ETB or something like that, and it just does a lot of work. I even saw a Yorian opponent that was doing like some uh, blinky shenanigans, and they blinked. I was when they did this, I was like, oh yeah, that would work. You blink the token, the third stage token. It's just the other side of the card, so they they reset it to yeah. stage one because i was like oh it doesn't create a token it literally flips it's over the, flip the, the, yeah. Yeah, the saga 
Because when it happened, I was like, what in the universe just happened? Then I was like, oh, yeah. Right. It's not a token that's the reflection of Kiki-Jiki or whatever. Yeah. Reflection of the Mirror Breaker. It's that. Good card. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking about it a little bit more as we talk about what we played this week. All right. So notables outside of the top eight. I'm going to go through some of these really fast and other ones we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about. Tenth place, I thought it was interesting. There's someone, uh, the player's name is Yosugi, playing a black-white control deck. No new cards, really, but I just thought it was really fascinating to see an Invoke Despair, Orzov, Planeswalkery kind of kind of deck. Seems pretty cool. 12th place, first place that we... Oh, 11th place, I was going to mention, we have X-Whale, well-known player and um, friend of a friend of the show, I suppose we could <laughs> call X-Whale. We haven't met, <laughs> met them yet, but 12th place, Ivan, Ivan Drago. Can we refer to everyone as a friend of a friend of the show? Just like start sure. taking credit we have not earned. Six degrees. I mean, we've certainly talked about Will slash X Will plenty of times on here. So maybe maybe someday we'll run. I've into been him. in the same room as him. I've seen Will. Seen him. I was just too shy to, to talk yeah. to him. Well, he was on Red Black Mid, but no Obnixilis. But in twelfth place, the next person was on Rakdos Anvil with three Obnixilis. This person's name was Ivan Drago. All right, so this is the first Obnixilis. Are we going to hold our our deepest discussion about Ob- Obnixilis for the, the Yeah, we, main? we definitely have to hold it. Like, I have been... I keep telling myself that I'm going to play some Rakdos Anvil and, like, get good with Rakdos Anvil, and I've tried my best, but we'll get more into this in the, the dive down segment when we talk about our play experiences. This is one of the areas where I am curious, like, how Ob feels, because, like, I think there's there are a few, like, juicy targets but not as many as i'd want like for ob here like maybe it's just fine on its own maybe it's just fine to like hey i'm gonna i'm just gonna sack a one power creature i don't really care i'm gonna sack a cauldron familiar i don't really care like it does give me two pieces of cardboard right exactly mm-hmm. all right we'll be back to obnixilis the adversary a number of times today i'm sure 14th place electric bob on a grixis Lutri list. Lutri. Man. Making it making it close to a top eight here. So many one ofs. I mean, I mean, they're all one ofs, but like this the selection of one ofs that you have to reach to in, in Pioneer is, you know, it's not super loose, but it's looser than I might like. Yeah, I mean the interesting thing here is that I think the the sort of not shell of this, but one of the main things that's in this deck when you use Grixis in this way is Nico Bolas the Ravager and Nico Bolas Dragon God, the Planeswalkers. Now there is like a Nico Bolas control deck that shows up occasionally and so i feel like this is sort of like a tweak on that idea to be able to just also get lutri in there as well and very enabled by new triome xander's mm-hmm. lounge xander's lounge come hungry leave <laughs> come hungry leave dead <laughs> <laughs> can, can we talk about lutri for a second like i what's funny is like you know we've, we've mentioned lutri and i've you know there's People doing decks with it. Collins Mullins has been doing some stuff with Lutri. And then I actually read Lutri. Friend of a friend of the show, Collins Mullins. Friend of a friend of the show. Uh, Collins Mullins basically left retirement just to play Lutri. Yeah, but like, true. Lutri does one thing one time. Like, it, it, you yeah. flash it in, it copies a target instant or sorcery spell, and you can choose new targets. Like, is that really worth building a singleton deck around? Maybe. Shane, have you still not learned how good companions are? <laughs> how good companion the rule is? Oh, you're right. It's still another piece of free cardboard. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's about Lutri making this deck good. It's about that, like, there's so much consistency in the spells you can play in terms of their effect and just the power level of so many of these cards that 
even as one ofs, they're fine because you can like play removal on a curve and then play really difficult to answer permanence. And then Luchi lets you copy a spell when you find something like when you happen to draw into something that's really good for the game. Yeah. Deck, that's what I think. Deck also has a, co- a high end of the Scarab God and Torrential Gear Hulk as the well. So it's, it's Scarab God. The Ohio State Scarab God. All right. Uh, one thing I noticed was in 26th place, we got a pretty cool Gruul Monsters Gruul Beatdown style deck, which is kind of built around ramping off of elves into Combat Celebrant and other creatures ahead of Curve, of course. What Combat, combat Celebrant allows you to do is you can exert it to get another combat phase. And it untaps everything but Combat Celebrant. And that works nicely with cards like Reckless Stormseeker, which gives a target creature plus one in haste at the beginning of a combat phase. And then it has all of your usual expected beaters like Glorybringer and Ronus and Werewolf Pack Leader and Bone Crusher. And also has Kiora, which I find per- like a little surprising to me. Like, because you can draw cards off of your four power creatures and you can untap things, but like you can't cheat exert right like you can't like untap your combat celebrant and like re-exert it right because exert is just like oh it says it says once a turn on combat celebrant for specific it, yeah it doesn't allow you to cheat that i think you can cheat exert but i think that combat celebrant is you know it does i think that you could have glory bringer kill two things for example right. with that move but um yeah 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 but yeah, this is a cool deck. I knew that you would love it when I saw it. I wrote some notes about it, and then I realized that you had already written notes about it. And then uh, <laughs> I said, that makes sense. Shane loves this kind of stuff. Uh, finally, last couple of things I wanted to mention here were 28th and 29th place were two mono-black aggro-ish decks. Question. Uh, one of them did not have any new cards. It was basically mono-black aggro with Graveyard Trustpasser. That's the 28th place deck by Roberto777. However, the 29th place deck by MJ23 was mono-black with a splash of red for Obnixilis and also included two Tenacious Underdog as well. So it's basically the deck that you would imagine. This one does not have the Graveyard Trustpasser in it, which I think probably would make its way into any optimized version of this deck, but it has four Obnixilis for you to be able to use in this shell as well. It's there. I'm Obnixilis. Yep. I know we're going to talk about Tenacious Underdog too, but that is certainly a card that is seeing play in a bunch of different places right now. I have a proposal for you. Okay. I know the answer to this proposal, but uh, Tenacious Tenacious Underdog is now going to be called Tenacious D. Under D. Dog? Yeah. Tenacious. Tenacious Dog. Shane. A man after my heart. There we go. This is not the greatest card in the world. It's just a tribute. Yeah, but I, I will say I, I like the synergy between Ob and like creatures that come back from the graveyard. Yeah. I think that's that's a pretty clever application. And Tenacious Underdog is just a one way to do that. Uh, last thing I will note is that one mono green devotion deck in ninth place. I forgot to move this up in the notes, so sorry it's out of order, everybody. The ninth place deck was a mono green devotion deck that was running four of Topiary Stomper from Streets of New Capenna. Do you know what that card does? Is that the one that draws you a land out of your... Yes, and you can't attack unless you have seven or more lands. Correct. And it is a big card, I believe. It is a... Oh, no, it's not big. It's a 4-4. Four, four. It's like it's not that great. Like, if it was like a 7-7, seven, seven, I'd be like, this makes sense. Yeah. This card is weird, but yeah, somebody almost top-aided with it. I think I've seen it... I might have seen it in that list, but I feel like I've seen it in other places as well, where people are just like, I love lands. Well, <laughs> this deck does love lands. Yes, it does. So. Okay, so that's Pioneer right now a couple of interesting things going on I, I, before we go on i just want to make a funny observation first and 32nd place are mono blue spirits yes 
I noticed that too. It just it just sandwiched the top results of the tournament. My favorite pioneer sandwich. I, I will say one of the things that really stood out to me about the 32nd place list was the one of Shadow Spear. What an interesting yeah. card to throw into spirits, I think, just to make you know, make your deck better against some aggro matchups and also just gain some life. You know, be, be able to trample through things too with your big, big old spirits. All right. I wrote up the modern challenge for Saturday and we had, you know, thanks Bamzing, of course. We had 122 players and here's our top 32 meta four Amulet Titan, four Hammer variants, three were Azorius, one was Mono White, three four color elementals, three Teamer Footfalls, three Is It Murktide, three Living End, three Yogg, and then a bunch of one ofs, including some notable things like Calibrated Blast, uh, Mono Red Prowess, Rakdos Sacrifice deck, and four color Tameshi, which I believe was Bob the Dog, aka notable player Gabe Nassif. Friend of a friend of a friend of the show. So uh, let's get into our top eight. We had Danny Bambino on four color elementals featuring Yorian. There's some interesting one uh, one of main deck inclusions like Magus of the Moon. Again, four color decks just running Magus and Blood Moon style effects. What a life we live in. There was also a Titania. And a lightning bolt if you want to talk about spicy one ofs. Yeah, I mean, one lightning bolt. One lightning bolt. And... This deck just wanted to say real quick. So we've seen some other data. So Shane, you earlier shared the results of the 5K at SCG Con Pittsburgh, right? Yeah. Where I believe that Four Color was one of the most played decks in Modern and one of the ones with the highest match win percentage. Is that correct? When we were looking at the popular decks? Yeah, it was definitely much higher than the most popular deck in the room, as we've been seeing in Is It Murktide, which had a 42% match win rate. But the Four Color Elementals deck... There were, it was 5% of the meta and had a 53.5% win rate. I mean, that's pretty good. And then also, amazingly, or maybe not so amazingly, the Sunday challenge was also won by Four Color, very close to this same list, by a player who on Twitter is at Respect the Cat. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sorry, I kept looking down, and the Four Color Blink decks that feature Yorian were about 60% and 4.5% of the meta game. So, you know, it's it's those are always kind of an interesting bleed across, but the Yorian variants were uh, doing quite well at 60%. Yeah. The stack is good. The stack is annoying. It's still good. Uh, and it seems like more people are picking it up as we go into the weeks here. Didn't it feel like it lulled, though, for a few weeks? I mean, maybe we have to wait until the monthly report to confirm that. But I felt like it was on the downswing for a minute. And people started to realize that some of these Yorian strategies weren't weren't pulling their weight. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I think it did really well in Dallas. I think if I remember right, too, it had a good win percentage when we looked at stuff. And then now it's here at SCG and in channel in challenges i will say i don't seem to face it a ton in on magic online because i think the deck is prohibitively expensive it's really hard to rent you know and it's really expensive to buy so maybe it doesn't come up too much in the leagues but um i certainly have faced it enough it's just not as much as some other decks that you see more but anyway that's four color right now in my mind one of the you know certainly deck to beat or second best deck to be, pers- I personally think, right now. In second place, Shane? Carl Carlson, C. Carlson, 32, on Amulet Titan. Looked like Amulet Titan to me. Third yeah. place, uh, Giggy, Gigi on Teamer Footfalls. A singleton main deck and two sideboard subtlety. The new meta breaker is here, everybody. Subtlety is back. Stan, have you, have you played subtlety much in, in Footfalls? Yeah, it was like, in the earliest iterations of Footfalls, it was, I think, even main deck. Then it kind of 
left the fold and now it's coming back a little bit. Yeah. I, Shane, are you being tongue in cheek when you call it a yes, metabrain? being tongue in cheek, yes. Yeah. It, you don't like this guy? You know my thoughts on subtly. It's very good. I got to play with it for one of the first times in, in uh, I've been playing it in Merktide recently and found it really very helpful. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Speaking of. Fourth place, O Daniel Echos on Is It Merktide? Fifth place, CrusherBot BG on, of course, Mono White Hammer. And this, of course, looks like one of Crusher's lists as a few Paradise Mantle, No Springleaf Drum, the Sword of Fire and Ice, the Cranial Planing, the Nettlesist Main, the you know sideboard with three defense grid and some other usual Crusher cards. So Crusher keeps crushing. I mean, the thing that crushed me about this list is that it has four, four Steel Shapers gift in it. Every time I try to buy pieces for Hammer, People keep the best players keep adding more expensive pieces <laughs> into the deck. Again, I have one Steel Shapers gift that I was like, I'll pay thirty dollars for this, fine. But ugh, I no, I might have three, all. Dave. If I have three, I'll, I'll sell you one real cheap. Okay, that's very nice. All right, sixth place, Sad Bruce Lee on four color entals featuring Kahira, which is a this is a different version of the earlier deck. What did you notice, Dave? Just that that this is really much more the four color elementals deck. It doesn't it doesn't have things like it doesn't have planeswalkers, you know, like the the Orients does. It doesn't have Ren and Six. It doesn't have Teferi Three. This deck has Flamekin Harbinger, so you're doing the like search up something, put it on the top, to, you know, look for answers. This one has four Ephemerate. The Yorian list only had three. You know, that's a little bit of like not not a huge distinction, but yeah, this this is much more of like in my mind, this is more. Uh, elementals kind of beat down than it is trying to control anything. There's no there's no expressive iteration here. Yeah. It's really yeah. Elementals deck. Uh, seventh place disgruntled elk on Azorius Hammer, a slightly interesting version with only three Memnite and three Ornithopter, but kind of the usual assortment of post Luris cards that we're used to. It's playing culture complete. Yeah, I think I think, I think that people are starting to play this again as just another powerful option, I suppose. That's that. I think that's become a little more common sense um, since Luris is banned. Basically, people mm-hmm. added it as a get out of jail free with uh, Stoneforge. It's definitely definitely the only kind of thing I would only want to play that in a deck with Giver of Runes, which this deck runs three of, because you don't want that stranded in your hand. Yeah. Yep. Eighth place, the Witch King on Living End. I didn't. Okay, so here top eight. I mean, I feel like every top eight is sort of the same, which is like, hey, here's some decks that we here's know modern. of. Here's modern. Here's some modern decks. Next week, we'll see like two Yawgmoth and like some footfalls and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So he's slightly different. Yeah. No, I don't think there were any new cards in this top eight. Yeah, no new cards about that I other, could see. Other than Triomes. Yeah. That's it. Like there's some Triomes in the, in the various different decks here and there. We, we get new cards as we start moving down. Yes. There are some pretty interesting cards. And the first one I wanted to mention, because mm-hmm. I, I went through and did the Cool Decks Inc. part of this. So let's officially, someone play the drop for Cool Decks Inc. here. It's Cool Decks Inc. with Dave the Godfather to tell you about new cards. Yeah. Cool Decks Inc. Yeah. Double sleeved. Good job, everybody. All right, in eleventh place, we had Simic Horizon. Don't know what that means. That's someone looking for a Simic Horizon. We have one. It's called uh, it's called Watervale Grove or whatever that weird. Water Log Grove. Very wet. Yeah, there you go. Eleventh uh, place with our first Streets of New Capenna card is Shadow of Mortality, 
Who knew? And it's in Calibrated Blast. Hey, Hello. that's what you thought. That's what we thought. The number one deck you thought it would go into. Honestly, yes. This is the number one deck that I thought this would go into. I'm I'm a little more wary of when we talked about if this would go in a deck that actually wanted to play it as a real card. Yeah. But here, why not? Uh, apparently, upgrading from Blink Moth to Infusion is actually pretty big because it it's now three of the different hits for calibrated or for uh, yeah calibrated blast do fifteen damage where before only two of them did and Blink Moth mm-hmm. Infusion did fourteen, which apparently makes a big difference to some of the pilots. <laughs> I'm not sure it why. Says begrudgingly, <laughs> yeah. but uh, but I do think it's better, and I, I do think that that's been. A little bit proven in early results, especially since we also heard today that Bob49, who's usually known for Belcher, I believe that's their Magic Online screen name, top aided the Sunday challenge with Calibrated Blast uh, as, a, as a pilot there. So I think we kind of need to look out for it a little bit, especially if like a good kind of known combo player like Bob is picking it up and going with it as well. Probably he'll probably talk about it on his podcast as well, so you should check it out. Uh, 18th place. This is where we start to talk about Rakdos mid in modern versus pioneer and also uh, explorer. Uh, this deck to me looks a lot like what Black Rak- uh, Rakdos mid has looked like in modern, but it really bears a strong res- resemblance to the same deck in those other formats as well. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of like yeah the Ra- the Rakdos mid after Luris's banning, which kind of hamstrung it quite a bit. But you did you know get the opportunity if you wanted to to play Lily. And now it gets the opportunity to play Ob. So yep, and Season Pyromancer, of course, too. Yeah, I think that this list looks like something really fun for me. Uh, so I might give it a try as well. But yeah, first sign of Obnixilis in Modern in nineteenth place. A deck that I wanted to talk about really quickly: Max Attack, nineteenth place, Mono Red Prowess. Haven't talked about this a lot lately, but there has been a lot of chat in our Discord about how Prowess is now playing three Underworld Breach oh main as a way to just draw cards and abuse things and maybe lightning bolt someone to death if you have enough things in your in your graveyard to do it. Um, apparently, it's pretty good, but I mean, how many how many activations do you think you really get out of this? Like two? Ah, uh, well, I saw <laughs> I saw a screenshot from. I believe from this player, Max Attack, on Twitter, where they had, it looked like 10 bauble triggers going in in the next turn. So, like, I think that they did their turn, cast a bunch of baubles, maybe made some huge prowess creatures. Yeah, that helps. And then went to the next turn and drew 10 new cards off of off a of bauble. I mean, I just so, don't know how you fill the graveyard so much. Like, exiling three other cards from your graveyard. I mean, I know that there there's a number of instances of sorceries, but I just, like, you know, the games aren't going incredibly long where I'm thinking I'm going to get like that much opportunity to cast the card plus exile other cards. I mean, for a mono red deck, it's playing eight fetch lands. So that's, I think part of that the certainly helps is you, you fill up with, with, um, with fetch and some big and also just like, yeah, some big canyons. And, um, I mean, I think it's interesting that they're playing four let up and four reckless impulse. I think reckless impulse has been coming up in these decks, but Reckless Impulse just is another way to fill your yard just by getting some velocity, keep yourself in the game longer, and then you have one more thing to either try to get your card advantage off Breach or find that Lightning Bolt that's going to kill your opponent. Exactly. I I have not had a chance to try this yet, but I definitely want to. Underworld Breach, never thought it would turn up in this kind of shell, but here it is. 23rd place, new card alert. (laughs) 
23rd place, we had Amulet Titan with a one-of Titan of Industry in the main deck. For me, that's very much a kind of like, huh, okay. Also, this deck is running 61 cards, so I think maybe, I don't know if they... <laughs> just threw in Titan of Industry into a list that already existed and just Sick. forgot to cut something. But props to them for coming in 23rd. This is underdog 111. Let me talk Certainly about this. 20- understand that. Let me talk about this 24th place deck. This one's pretty rad. Yes. Um, Saddleback Lagak on Rakdos Sack. <laughs> We've talked about this player in the past for sure. And they are running uh, a few new cards in three Obnixilis and four Unlucky Witness. Cards that go together like Peas and Carrots. Uh, what's this is kind of a more straightforward, like aggressive creature focus than Rakdos Anvil, where this deck is running things like Bloodgast and Lightning Skelemental and Mayhem Devil, Ragavan, Season Pyromancer, the aforementioned Unlucky Witness. So you get this strong board presence and aggressive game plan, along with a lot of value sack fodder for your Obnixilis. Like, Stan, would you like to be sacrificing your Lightning lightning Skelemental to Obnix to get a six loyalty Ob out of the deal? I mean, I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Right, what what a play. That and Bloodgast, as you mentioned, I think, like, finding these recursive threats to sack to Bloodgast that also just come back really easily, either because you're going to unearth them or get a... A landfall trigger. Yeah, I like the fact that you know this has Goblin Bombardment and Mayhem Devil for kind of your pings. Unearth is a really nice inclusion here because it gets back your creatures from the yard for dirt cheap and their end game damage or end game sack fodder. Like let's say you're at a at a spot where you're like, you know, I have access to even even just four mana and you unearth a skeletal and then you sacrifice it to your Obnixilis. That's you know a really clean p- play to get a, a lot of Ob value onto the board. Or just unearth it and swing for six if it's an empty board. So kind of the classic Skelemental type stuff. Yeah, this stuff looks yeah. sweet. Pretty sweet. Okay, a couple decks left on the list here of interesting playing with new cards. 28th place, Yawgmoth. Yogmoth, noted as being one of the other kind of suddenly best performing decks in the format lately when it comes to events, Con- consistent not consistently, but often putting up high level results and having uh, kind of like a really high match win percentages when you look at the aggregate statistics. This list in 28th place is running Gala Greeters as a two of in the main as a, as a two drop. Pretty interesting. I don't know if people remember what, what Greeters does, but um, it has alliance. Not enough. And, and it says... Put a plus one plus one counter on Gallagreeters. Create. Uh, you get to choose one of these, one of the uh, a mode when a creature comes into play with it. At the, as long as you haven't chosen this turn. And the first one is put a plus one plus one counter on Gallagreeters. The second one is create a tap treasure token, and the third one is you gain two life. I think. I, I think the interesting thing with Greeters is that part of the Yog plan is that you chip away with some like early dinky creatures, and then eventually you combo off with Yogg after you've done more damage to your opponent than they've done to you. Right. And I think Gallagreeters helps that first half of the equation where it's just like another threat that actually gets a little bit bigger and buffers your life total for that combo because you need to have more life than your opponent does to execute the combo. And it just kind of helps glue it all together. Hard to say whether it's like the truth and it's going to stick around, but it, it is, I think, on plan in its own way, even though 
you read it and like it reads a little underpowered because all of these things only activate once, but maybe you really only need to activate them like two two times to be actually good and three times if you want that extra treasure to do more stuff with on every turn. Yeah, I mean, I think that that the treasure is an important part of it too because this deck, I have noticed, it runs kind of it it has lots of mana, but it wants to do lots of expensive things, and so I think being able to slide into being like, oh, I got greeters here. I need a couple extra mana over the next couple of turns, so I'm just going to get some treasure going as well. Makes a ton of a ton of sense too. Uh, last deck and last sighting of a new card for me was 31st place from Allosaurus Rider. It's Belcher running an offer you can't f- refuse as a as a one of. Now I think that this is a uh, like tech in a basically a recross the paths kind of spot. Right. So it's mm-hmm. sort of like, okay, if you know that you're in a situation where you're going to want a counter, a cheap counter spell in your recross pile, then you can stack it. Can you just stack a bunch of pact of negations in that scenario? I think that, I think that it's kind of like a combination of both. I think it's like, can I get more? Can I do more? I, I'm not sure exactly how it works, but, and also, you know, it's not like, Again, this may not be the truth. It might be just something somebody was experimenting with. But um, yeah, maybe maybe it's in a case where also you don't want to die <laughs> to Pact if they if they do manage to pull something off somehow. So, but cool. All right, so that's modern. Yeah, I think we're getting kind of the early idea of how people are are testing these cards. We didn't see any of the Luxior. I noticed we didn't see anything like that breaking things wide open. Uh, I don't know what other cards people thought were going to would truly be broken potential. You know, I think we've heard a lot about Ob and Ob being incredibly good, but I don't think we saw that be the case in in modern necessarily. I'm curious how people continue to iterate with that with that card and if a Luxior deck is going to get figured out, or maybe it's just not going to be a thing. So we'll find out uh, in the next few weeks, I'm sure. Yeah, and of course, like we hinted. We might not have talked enough about Obnicholas yet because we are going to be talking about that card a lot in the dive down. So thanks for uh, checking out these tournaments and stay with us. We'll be right back. Guys, I realized something. I've been shaving too much. (laughs) You're an addict? Sort of. And here's what happened. Turns out when you use a safety razor, you have to switch out those razor blades from time to time. Yeah, you do. They don't last forever. Yeah. And I like, I, I cut myself a little, little gash right here. I had to do that, that dad move. The styptic, the styptic pen or the, the toilet paper. Oh, I just use toilet paper. Yeah. And I got like a bloody piece of paper attached to my <laughs> neck while I'm at the supermarket. <laughs> oh, sorry. I got some blood on your eggplant. <laughs> you know what I really appreciate about Barrister Man that I realized after I cut my face from poor razor blade management yeah the aftershave it's cool and gentle and it doesn't burn my flesh the way like cologne based alcohol based aftershaves do i love i really 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 like the aftershave I, I used to like not like aftershaves because they sort of have like a cheesy uh, like high alcohol sort of feel and scent and I was talking to Will about this because I was like, why does your aftershave feel good? This sounds like a complete fabricated story, but this is 100% true. I was like, why does the aftershave feel good? It feels soft. Like, it feels like a moisturizer. And he's like, that's a lot of R&D, my friend. Yeah. Wow. That's all. That was his answer? Well, not exactly. It's he was proprietary? Like, yeah. Well, he was like, you know, there's it has, it has various other chemicals that 
are like this. It took us a lot of time to iterate on that. Is that's basically the, the long way of saying a lot of R and D. That's amazing. Yeah, and uh, Stan, what have you been? What have you been shaving with? I, I always want to know what you're using because you have the most particular uh, scent family around you. <laughs> yourself and your your partner and everything well yeah i'm just waiting to finish up all of my my lavender shaving soap before i start using the the chocolate the chocolate stuff you got chocolate what's it what is the chocolate stuff well i I haven't used it yet it's it's on the way oh yeah 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 i've got some i've got some inky chocolate and ink i think it's called yeah i forget this what the flavor is the scent is called but fragrance is called yeah, and, and you know we're not sponsored by Axe, but I am a, a proud card carrying member of the Axe of chocolate Axe family of of deodorants, and I'm excited to ha- finally have a a shave product that actually blends with that. Yeah, I am um, amped to try some new products. I keep just sort of cycling through the the, the three different shaving soaps that I use, and. I know that uh, there's some new seasonals coming out, so I'm I'm amped for those. And keep your eye on if you're not already following uh, Barrister and Man on uh, Instagram. That's a great place to get word on new product releases. We'll just like a lot of interesting like Q and A type things. We'll just record a video of himself answering questions that he gets from uh, purchasers and things like that. So you you do get a lot of kind of a little bit behind the scenes and heads up on product releases. So if you've already done one order and you're just like, hey, uh, I like this and I want to get some more stuff, it's a great way to just to say, hey, uh, I know what I want next. You know, Father's Day, month away or so, get your get your papa um, or, you know, any male role models in your life, get them a nice Barrister and Man present. They'll smell good. Yeah. Honey, I hope you're listening. I need more Barrister and Man stuff. Yeah, I'm going to buy myself some. I'm not a dad, but... Stan, I hate to break it to you, but I know that your partner does not listen to our show. <laughs> <laughs> but if you are so inclined, if you want to check out some uh, fragrances, shaving equipment, body soaps, things like that, Bar- Barrister and Man, M-A-N-N, use coupon code THEDIVEDOWN2022 for 15% off your first order. We appreciate it. Will appreciates it. And uh, thanks again. You're going to like the way you smell. If this is your second order, just let Will know that we tipped you over if you're going for it again, even without the code. That would uh, that would help us. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Thanks. So y'all, we are back, and we just talked a lot about what other people have been playing this week. So I think it's time for us to talk a little about a little bit about what we have been doing. So what have y'all been doing? It's funny that you took this intro because I think you've been doing the most. And so I really wanted to ask what you've been doing. But maybe before we get into it in detail, I mean, the main thing that I've been doing is playing Explorer yeah. mm-hmm. uh, for the last few days. And I got have feeling. Been, what do you, how do you like it? Uh, I've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying having a reason to play uh, Arena again. You know, I have complicated feelings about the platform and the economy and all that kind of stuff. But it, it is nice. I, I was reminded again that it is nice to be able to pick up and just kind of play on my iPad when I want to and things like that. But yeah, I've mostly just been playing playing Explorer and I've mostly been playing Rakdos mid because I wanted to try Obnixilis out. And so we'll talk about that some in a minute. But what have you been doing, Shane? Essentially the same, my friend. Right. Uh, a lot of Explorer, I think since we got through the early bumps of the release on Thursday on Arena, I have been only playing Explorer and only best of three. Nice. Like yeah. for 
for fun, for learning. Like I'm not just trying to grind ladder with an aggro deck and best of one. I'm just trying to feel out this format with like a slower mid-rangey deck and playing some using arena to play real magic for essentially the first time. And it's it's pretty good. What about what about you, Stan? What have you been doing? I've been doing a mix of Pioneer. Um, been been playing some new cards that caught my eye that we've never really even talked about that I'm excited to kind of share, you know, my experience following my heart, basically. Cool. Um, and I have been doing Explorer as well. I think I've only played it on my phone, and for that reason, only best of one. But I'm not grinding the ladder. I'm actually doing these new events just to get a sense for, like, what this event structure is like and, and what I can gather about the metagame there. Um, since people do metagame in best of one versus best of three. They do. You know, it's, I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, but like, I'm so afraid to spend 5,000 gold when I would very easily, if I was offered appealing cosmetics, I would spend like 4,000 gold if I, if they were in card decks that I would play. <laughs> is, is best of three 5,000 gold? I think it's actually more, but maybe it's 5,000, but the, the entry is not insignificant. And so it's kind of like, I need to figure out how I feel about the, my deck choice before I just start throwing gold against these things. I mean, I do have a, I have a bunch of gems that have just sort of sat there for a while. And, you know, whenever there's a stonks day, I'm converting gold into gems or like 400 gems into 500 gems. So that does accumulate slowly. Uh, But yeah, I'm, I'm still a little bit hesitant to, to get in there. It's just like the, the stakes, the stakes still do scare me, even though it's completely virtual stakes and it's very easily replaceable by like (laughs) four days of quests or something. It's funny. I have the same feeling a little bit. I I would love to talk a little bit about what these events are because I know there's been kind of a mixed kind of reception to them. But we'll we'll come back to that in a little bit maybe. But I was gonna say, I'm always happy to like fire ten dollars into the sun on <laughs> on Magic Online, yeah. you know. But I do feel much more of risk averse about it on Arena. Like the well, free so currency, the free currency is too valuable. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, well, why don't why don't we talk a little? Start with talking a little bit about our impressions of Explorer and what you've been playing and that kind of stuff, Shane. Yeah, for sure. And I think you and I can have a, a back and forth conversation about this because we both played primarily the same or similar decks uh, in, in Explorer. And I've been mostly playing Rakdos Mid, as I as I mentioned. And I uh, I was the first couple days I was essentially playing like old versions of Rakdos that didn't have any new cards and. My co-host Dave did remind me that we do, in fact, have a podcast where we should talk about new cards. So I pivoted to a version with Obnixilis and Tenacious D. Uh, this was based, though, on a list that was posted by Pioneer Grinder Baduina, and Batu Tina's list was a, an adaption of kind of old Pioneer Rakdos mid decks, but they had four Tenacious Ds and three Obnixilis, and they looks like they shaved it down a little bit on their other Planeswalkers. They only had two Chandras. There was no, like, third Chandra and maybe a Sorin, like you see sometimes, and two Kroxa instead of maybe three, like you might see there sometimes. And obviously, the idea here was to create this combo of the two drop in Tenacious D to the three loyalty, three mana Obnixilis and start doing some work. But uh, there's no Kalidus and no Dreadbore in Explorer. So the version I sort of created had two Bedevil, two Murderous Rider, if you remember that card, and a third Chandra to replace the five cards there. 
Yeah. So let me talk a little bit too about the deck I was playing. So I got a list from Joe C in our uh, you know, stalwart of our Discord, and um, that he's been playing. And my mine was a little different than where you were at. So I and I was trying a couple, at least one more new card. Um, so mine was uh, I had a Soren the Mirthless in along with my two Chandras. So I only had three four drops. Uh, I had three Obnixilis as well, and then I had. Um, only two tenacious underdogs, but had two strangle, two fatal push, and two uh, blood chiefs thirst. Oh yeah, so a little bit more removal. No, no bedevil though, which is probably a card that I would I would swap in. Um, and there were a couple other things in there that we could talk about as we go. Yeah, I I was let's let's talk a little bit about that right now because I think like the what you swap in for dreadbore is kind of up in the air and i don't love any of the options like i think dreadbore is is sneakily a super essential card in this deck because the two mana destroy a planeswalker or creature even at sorcery speed is just like kind of a it's just a it's a it's a big difference between three and two mana no matter even if you get the instant speed even if you get the ability to hit artifacts uh being able to take your stuff one turn earlier or to cat to double spell is so much more important in a lot of times. Yeah, I mean that's kind of why I like Blood Chief. Yes, yeah, so that's what I was going to say. List. Is that it's gets you kind of that efficiency. Some of it, right? But then it's extremely inefficient on the backside when you kill a Planeswalker because it's not like there's any two mana Planeswalkers in yeah. in Pioneer to kill to kill or in Explorer to kill. So, um, but I I do like that card. But I thought overall I I really enjoyed playing this this deck generally. Yeah, uh, it just kind of reminded me again of the power of Thoughtseize. But <laughs> yeah. does Strangle bridge that gap a little bit between Dreadborn and, and Bloodchief's Thirst? That's what I meant to mention. Also, great, great point, Stan. Like the reason that Strangle, I think, rates in this list is because you can knock off a Planeswalker for a single mana as well, and that's why you don't go all in on either Bloodchief's Thirst or Strangle in the list. So you have kind of just uh, the diversity of options. And I think, by the way, Strangle actually did a pretty good job of that. I do think it's. A lot of creatures that you really want to kill in Pioneer or have four toughness right now, and in Explorer have four toughness. So Strangle having a hard cap on that does suck sometimes, but it is worth it to have the single mana target Planeswalker ability. Yeah, I think if I were to go back, um, the reason that I put like the Murderous Rider in is just to give me a later game creature, sort of to replace Kalidus and be like a, a two-for-one type thing. But I think that... Um, Bedevil might just be too expensive as like a two of maybe like a sideboard option type thing and maybe add some mixture of Blood Chief's Thirst and and or Strangle in there, I think, to 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 handle some creatures. Because one of the things that you, I, I found, and this is kind of getting ahead of things, Dave, is uh, I found that I was if I because I lacked enough efficient removal to take care of like low to the ground creature decks, I could find myself getting swarmed and getting overwhelmed. Um, if they were a heavy creature, like creature creature and spell is a lot easier than just kind of like a, a go white creature deck. Is is has always been kind of an issue, I think, for mid rangey style decks where just they only have so many removal spells. Yeah, I think having six single mana removal spells was a good thing that Joe did with the list that he shared with me for sure. Yeah, like that makes a ton of sense to just. Be cheap, and that is what it is. So uh, let's go back to Tenacious Underdog a little bit, right? Because that's kind of the the one two punch that I think this deck is trying to set up. Where it's like, hey, you drop it. I mean, you you drop a two two drop Tenacious Underdog, then you can sacrifice it to get a, another three loyalty 
Obnixilis, and then later in the game at some point, you can blitz back Tenacious out of the yard. Uh, it's an interesting recursive threat that you know does what you kind of want in Rakdos mid specifically, I think, which is drawing you cards and providing damage on empty boards or uh, hastily attacking opposing planeswalkers if there are any, things like that. Yeah. What did you think of this card generally? I only had it as a two of. Tenacious Underdog? Yeah, you had it as a four of, so you yeah. were pretty committed to it. Yeah, I, I did get to cast it quite a bit, both on its you know two mana value and its four mana uh, blitz cost. I liked it quite a bit in a lot of games. Uh, I I don't think it's busting anything like wide open. I don't think anyone thought it would uh, by any means. But what I like about this card is late game, it's doing what you want in this deck because like you're you're getting a damage three damage a turn. You're drawing yourself a card. And it costs you two life and four mana, of course. And, but what it's good about in this strategy is that like, you can keep the board clean. You can use this effect when the opportunity reveals itself to you. It's almost it's not like a planeswalker, but it does sort of the, the, the planeswalker thing in a deck like this, which is it's drawing me more through my deck. And it's, or it's providing me some kind of damage. In Rakdos mid, I think it's there for probably better sack fodder to Ob. Than something like in mono black aggro, which might have like Scrappy Scrounger or Blood Soaked Champion, or even like one of the, the the one drop whose name is escaping me that draws you like a card or two off the top, because that's just a different type of strategy altogether. And so I think in like a mid range strategy, Tenacious is pretty darn good, uh, but it's not like it's not my favorite two drop in the world. It's just like it's a pretty good two drop for in terms of the actual strategy you're executing. Yeah, I mean, I felt like it was a solid card. I was kind of glad I didn't have it as a four of in the the list that I was playing because I feel like it's maybe not powerful enough to be that. I think the great thing about it is that it's another two drop that is three power. So it lets yes. you put some... It lets you put power, uh, put some pressure on your opponents early, you know, in spite of all the trickiness that it has. Yeah, that's why I and think then, it's really good. Yeah, it blocks well, yeah. it attacks well. Yeah. So I think that, you know, we talked about this card during the spoiler app. I'm glad that we talked about it because I do think that it's a card that's going to see play in a number of different places. I mean, I we even saw a red-black Obnixilis deck. I think Everett shared one towards the beginning of New Capenna where he was trying it in Modern. I think he kind of felt like it wasn't good enough for Modern. Probably true. But... Um, but Tenacious Underdog, I think, is a perfect fit for Explorer, Pioneer, kind of power level. And I love the fact that you can blitz it out there to attack from your hand to draw a card if you just want to cycle it and get three damage, basically. It's a, it's a, it's a good card. Well, so, so you can blitz it from your hand? Yeah. Not only from the graveyard? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's an and interesting that, option. That's key, because there are some times where you're just like, the board's clear and I need to close this game out. I'm gonna to try to blitz it and draw try to draw into more threats. I think it's I think it's good. Yeah, I should that. do that more. Like I I probably had some opportunities for that and like just didn't really see them. But uh, I think yeah. that's that's also good. Yeah, it's like a it's a big weird dash. Dash, yes. Dash variant. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Stan, have you played against this deck at all? What have you have you thought about it at all or uh, I, I played against it at least once. Um I, I can't remember like what some of the nuances were between the two versions and, and like if I was playing one that was more leaning like on a more aggro or on a more uh, aggressive uh, on a more aggressive or on a more like mid-rangey removal right axis. Um 
I don't really have much to say except like at least I did get to play against Opnixilis and kind of get a sense for what that card is capable of and and kind of how it performed, I think, in a vacuum when it just was, you know, sacrificing a random creature to the casualty ability. Yeah. Yeah, So let's let's talk about Ob. Certainly the hype card of the weekend because a lot of people on Twitter were like, I, the first, it started out with, is this card going to get banned somewhere? Because I think some people are annoyed with it that much, but I, I don't know. Why, yeah, get into it, Shane. Yeah, I mean, I guess just first things first, my, my general feeling about Ob is inconsistent for me in this deck. Yeah, I'm not going to, I will, trust me that I am not saying that I have the full grasp of what Ob is capable of in every strategy, in a sacrifice strategy, in some kind of Rakdos aggro recursion type strategy. I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking about it in Rakdos mid. And the reason that it feels inconsistent to me is because it's like not usually what I want to be doing early, unless it's against control where I can start pressuring their life total because they don't really want to start losing cards. Like almost never does control want to start throwing away cards. And I don't think mid-range wants to lose cards either. No. For what it's worth. So I think I think there's more than control that it's reasonable against, but yeah. I mean what and I don't think anyone wants to lose cards. And yes. and that kind of gets into one of my big issues with it that I want to talk about in like a few sentences. But what I what I what I did like about Ob is that like it's pretty good against control because it's two permanents that are hard for them to remove. They provide that ongoing pressure in some way. They can't be swept away with anything besides like farewell at six mana. No, actually that doesn't hit planeswalkers. So no, it hits everything other than yeah. planeswalkers. Yeah. So it's like they and they can't handle it with their creature removal. And sometimes the two the the burn spells that maybe like a is it type interactive deck would have aren't enough to get rid of these get rid of the ob. But then I have like way less conclusive value with the card against uh, against like creature decks because like they just choose to lose a few life points. They don't want to lose their creatures either. And they can, they're putting more pressure on with those cards than the two life loss like matters. Like going back to last week, just talking about math, like I can lose two life or I can attack my opponent for like uh, three, five, six, six damage for just, if this thing lives for one, one turn, it's like, well then, yeah, of course I'm not throwing any of the way. And so they can just either attack your obs or they can ignore them. And notice I'm always speaking about obs in like pairs, like one mm-hmm. ob is even worse. And, yes. and so that's just not doing a lot for, for you or for me at least. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I think the general, what you're saying is true. What I found to be true about the card too. But I think that there were a bunch of games where it closed the door for me. Oh yes. Soundly. Oh, like, yes. and so I think it's a, I think it's a good card. You know what I mean? I do think it has troublesome matchups where it's not good. And I think that's great, actually. Like, it's not like we want a card to be good against in all scenarios. I do think that one thing that I didn't get a lot of chances to do, and that I'll probably do more uh, playing these main deck going forward, is making a devil yeah. Against, yeah, yeah, yeah. against creature decks instead of even maybe two if I have a high, high enough loyalty from the second Obnixilis as well, so that I, um, so that I have some blockers because that uh, ability that the devils have where they die and then also do one damage to something actually lets them kill reasonably sized creatures. Yeah. Sometimes yeah, unless time. you do some weird kind of 
tricky, tricky math as well that I think can um, really improve it quite a bit. And so I'm wondering if that helps a little bit with the protection problem with Obnixilis or the creature problem with Obnixilis. You know, there's no reason for this card to have a mode that kills a creature. But Mm -hmm. um, I do think it's a good tool in a lot of different matchups. And I feel like it's kind of a perfect thing for Red Black to have access to. Yeah. I mean, so the inconsistency, I think, is driven by the choice issue. Like, the you know, these are these Punisher effects that give your opponent a choice on what a spell or ability or something does to them. And that, I think, is the major source of inconsistency of him as a walker. Like, you know, you've heard probably since the, the first few months of you playing Magic the Gathering is that your life total is a resource and you can use it. And that's a very real option for opponents that are facing down one ob, even two obs. Like for life, a turn sounds like a lot. And then like, but if your opponent has these threats in hand and some, or any kind of damage, they're not going to want to discard those. They're just going to kill you and not worry about losing for life. If the, the clock is not on uh, you, the Obnixilus players side. And you know, what did you feel about that, Dave? Were you like, what did you find your opponents doing much of the time? Like in, in, in Rakdos mid? I mean, really hard to say, right? I mean, I think the power play here is is post-board with this. You have, I mean, I was so frequently sideboarding in all my duresses and yes. go blanks as well. So that I was kind of like, okay, I'm Obnixilis and I have a ton of discard spells. And so I'm going to plus Obnixilis. And if you take the damage, I'm going to make you, then I know that you have a card you want to hold on to, then I'm going to thought seize you. Like, I think it made thought seize a better card late game than it was, than it can be sometimes. Cause you know, when they have something they're trying to protect a little bit more. And if it's like, if they discard, then I just hold my discard spells until later. Cause obviously they don't care, you know, like yeah. that, that kind of thing. Or I just pick their hand apart just to be like, okay, I'm going to ob you twice and then I'm going to cast go blank and then we're going to, then you're really going to be over it and then I'm just going to, then I'm going to win. So I do think that it's a powerful tool in that way, the way that Liliana the Veil discard ability can be powerful, even though it's doesn't have any fringe benefits. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like the way that this one does. I do think the choice thing is a problem, but I also think that if you are, um, I didn't ever feel like it was enough of a problem that, Ob was not presenting a problem they had to deal with, yeah. right? You know what I mean? Like, I was generally in a position where I was getting to have more cards than them. Obnixilis makes it even worse. And then, you know, sometimes I kill them with it. I mean, I killed somebody in one game with Ob's alt, even. Nice. Where I got up, I got up to mm-hmm. seven. You know, I made them discard a bunch. It was like a longer game, got up to seven, got them to seven life, and then just hit them with the minus seven from one of the Ob's, and they died. Yeah. Um, and that was good. That was probably not going to happen that much but yeah i think i think what in rakdos mid like ob feels like not i don't know if it's borderline or questionable or like just okay but it's like not it's not some option where i'm like this is a must include because like i feel like if i was pressuring the opponent's life total more then they would have less of a choice you know what I mean? Where it's like, I think we've seen kind of these Rakdos aggro decks that we've hinted about uh, last week or maybe two weeks ago in our spoiler episode. And then it's like, we're starting to see some of those. We're like, here's an aggressive Rakdos deck where Ob synergizes with the creatures and the creatures are also hitting pretty hard and recur- recurring themselves so that if Ob is surviving, 
then they're not going to have as much of a choice because their life total will be like eight instead of like 16. Because I feel like, I don't know what your experiences with the deck were, but I just, you know, the clock that we're presenting is not incredible. It's, it's definitely a take over the mid to late game type thing. Yeah. And I think Obnixilis helps a lot with that. So I've been, I've been paying attention. Uh, there's so much I want to react to. For starters, you know, Shane, you mentioned your, you talk about OBS. I, I don't think this is a card you ever cast unless you can make two. Like, do you guys kind of just agree with that? Probably like it's a cor- it's a corner case. If you're just going to put out the one and you're doing that, if you know, like somehow he's going to close out the game on his own. Right. Essentially. And you want to know the card that helps with that the most. Honestly, it's not Tenacious Underdog. To make sure that you cast two in this shell, it's Fable of the Mirror Breaker. That's mm-hmm. the card that I found myself more often being like, okay, I have my beaters out there. They killed my Blood Tithe Harvester. They killed my Tenacious Underdog. I'm waiting to bring that back. I'm, I, have a, I'm, I Fable on one turn. Next turn, I do my draw, you know, my rummage effect, and then I get rid of the token to Obnixilis. And that, I found that coming up, that line coming up much more frequently. Honestly. Yeah, that's really cool. And, and I want to double check. Were you guys playing Kroxa? Yeah. Yes. Two of. Yeah. yeah. So the, the thing for me with Ob, just playing against it, is I feel like it's another win con for this deck in a similar way that Kroxa is. And like, it's not going to do its thing unless the game has gone long enough. But then once it's on the board, like assuming you've been playing to your plan and just like, trading resources a lot and applying early pressure with with cheap threats like that's when your pair of adversaries sort of take over the game and eventually win yeah does does that kind of sit right with your experiences yeah i actually think i don't like it early which is yeah. perhaps surprising like maybe there's a few matchups where i would not mind having two planeswalkers down but like a lot of times I need to keep a creature back like against an opposing creature deck. I don't want to sacrifice a, a blocker or an attacker just to have obs down. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't think you're casting it early unless it's against control that's tapped out against you. Yeah. You know what I mean? In you know, especially in Pio and, and Explorer where they don't have any no mana interaction, but yeah. And, and maybe this goes without saying, but I think you can cast it early if you have two in your hand. And, and the reason you might want to do that just to, to play that early one is because it, it's such a pet pesky permanent that I think people think they need to or want to remove as soon as possible. So if you can get like a couple cards out of their hand just for the sake of them interacting with your ob and, and its clone, I think that may be worth it so that then like the second one is the thing that actually closes it out. Yeah, it just depends on the board state. Yeah, right? If they have a bunch of creatures, like I'm not going to cast Obnixilis into where I have one creature, they have two or three creatures and i'm like okay well i'm not gonna du- sacrifice my one creature and just have it die in a crackback even if i plus it twice because most likely you know because it's a punisher effect they're not going to discard no. right they're probably in that position they're probably going to take damage so you're playing whatever other three drop you have then you know whether it's fable whether it's you know whatever but and that that kind of gets to my issue with it where it's like I've, I've talked about the consistency in terms of what this card is is doing on particular board states and I just feel like I'm not sure if I wouldn't rather have a different three drop or like a different planeswalker or just something else that's, that's in this deck in Rakdos mid again, specifically that, that couldn't do the same thing, but could have a, a wider variety of application that I was comfortable having in my deck. Yeah. Well, I think we should kind of try to deconstruct what you mean by do this thing. 
Because what this thing does in, in the case of Obnixilis is it applies pressure um, or it's trading on cards. Well, it's, it's either applies pressure or trades on cards. It's just your opponent gets to choose. Yeah. Right. And, and, and the pressure is. But those are, is those are the, bad the, choices for the opponent. Yeah. Right. But the pressure it's is tough. just okay, though, in my, in my opinion. Like, there's just so many times where it's like, even if you had two OBs sitting on the board for like two turns, they could still just kill you. Like, a, a mono blue spirits player could out aggro you, a Winota player could uh, out aggro you. Like, if you, let's say you just had a few more removal spells or something like that. So I found. For what it's worth, that this deck destroys Winota for some reason. Yeah, I, yeah there's a lot of removal on the sideboard. For I sure. didn't. I didn't lose to Winota. I played it four times. I didn't lose a single match to Winota with this deck. You know, the spirits example makes sense. Here, here's what I think this card does that's important, though. It's that it's a small. It's a cheaper version of. In my mind, it's like a cheaper version of Chandra Torch of Defiance, which is one of the true heroes of this deck. Yeah, like, I think Chandra is so much better. Well, yeah, it is. It costs one more mana. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that um, getting to play this a little bit earlier or having a different dimension of the Planeswalker as a kill condition that sometimes does some other things for you, I think is really important for this deck to have to make it actually viable. And I think it I think it works really well because, like you said, it doesn't, it doesn't die to creature removal, right? It doesn't die to sweepers. And you can go Obnixilis into Chandra, or you yeah. can go play Chandra first and get some clear the board, and then play Obnixilis once you've minus Chandra, you know, to kill one of their bigger creatures. And the next turn you play Obnixilis. So I think the two of them go together extremely well, yeah. and they both do the two damage thing. And so once you start get going with that, and you can play, you can have more than one of them in play at a time, right? Yeah. You can't have two Chandras in play. You can Sadly. have two Obnixilis and a Chandra in play, and then then you're really cooking for yeah. the late game. And so that that's part of what I thought was really good about this card is in conjunction with that card as well. It's like, I, I think that if Chandra didn't exist, it probably wouldn't, you know, like it would be tough to make this game plan work for Obnixilis, but I think because it does, it fits in well. Yeah, I I just feel like the 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 floor to ceiling delta is a little bit higher than I'd like, but I think that there are times in certain metas, like let's say Azorius control gets like Supreme Verdict and it's like 15% of the ladder, like of the meta, like in events and ladders, and then sure, it's even better to have three in your main deck. Um, but if like, if there are a lot of small creature decks in the meta that might have even more than more creatures on, let's say Winota that we're pretty strong against, I feel like, well, maybe I'd want to shave my obs and have more in the sideboard for those control matchups. So right now, I think people are high on it, and they're like, let's just jam three and see how it feels. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this ended up being a sideboard card sometimes, I think is what you're saying. Like, it's, I think it's really good, but I think there's some chances where it's not, it's not going to see main deck play all the time. But I do think it's a legit playable. Yeah, it's definitely playable. It does not feel broken. I'm glad it doesn't feel broken. Like, I didn't want to have some kind of new three-mana Planeswalker Overlord that I saw everywhere and felt horrible to play against. So I'm glad that's not the case yet. Yeah, give it time, Shane. Do, do, do you think Rakdos mid, just like a standard mid-range deck, is the best home for Ob? Or do you think there may be an opportunity to find like a way to make either the casualty ability more broken yeah. or that's or mitigate a little bit of the Punisher effect? Yeah, Because I feel like you know we're, we're talking about a card that we've only had access to for four days. Like, There's still probably room to find a way to actually make it like something worth exploiting. Since it is 
two walkers for three mana. Yeah, I think there's a chance that the Pio list that we looked at that was mono black aggro plus Obnixilis might be more the type of thing where you're just like playing a lot of creatures and then you have a lot of stuff to help protect Obnixilis and you get to just like throw throw this out there. Like Shane was saying, if you play a smaller aggressive creature plan and then have this to try to close the door, it might be better just because it's surrounded by more uh, more support then. Yeah, I saw a list on like Arena Zone that is a Actos Rago. <laughs> Actos Rago? Actos Rago. Uh, Rakdos aggro deck that is kind of like the aggressive version of this deck, which is Bomac Courier, Soulscar Mage, Scrap Heap Scrounger, Kari Zev, Bonecrusher Giant, uh, and then has three Obnixilis. So you could either sacrifice some uh, fast fodder. Um, in fact, you could also sacrifice a pumped up Soulscar Mage if you were so inclined. And then your Ob comes down you know, scrap heaps scrounger for value, things like that. And I had 98% of this deck. So I just built this one tonight and I'm excited to test a slightly more aggressive deck where again, uh, the Obnixus life pr- total pressure would be perhaps more impactful. I like this deck though. I'm definitely going to keep playing the mid range version. I'll keep playing Obnixilis main for now. Yeah. Let's see where it goes. The card I hated in in this deck, honestly, was Soren the Mirthless. I'm like this card. Oh mm-hmm. man. I've had such good experiences card. though, but yeah, it's like slightly less consistent. But I just want another Chandra. I'm just gonna well, I guess I can't really put a third Chandra in because then if you draw both, it kind of sucks. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Soren's pretty cool. I mean, overall I think Rakdos feels like you might expect. Like there's some hits, some misses. I think there's some decks that can just outvalue you, go over the top, but it's 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 traditional mid range stuff. Where some days it's it's great, some days you thought seize and duress everything you need to. Some days you remove all the creatures you need to, and sometimes you run out of removal or your creatures aren't strong enough to clock your opponent and they sweep you away. There's just you know it's 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 a fun deck. I like all the decisions in it. So before we get out of here and talk about what Stan's been up to in Pioneer, what did you think about Explorer as a format? Anything that do you guys want to note about the format itself? Winota is good. Yeah, Winota is really Winota good. Sure is good. Yeah. Yeah. Although, like I said, I didn't. Lo- I faced it over and over again. I did not lose to it. I mean, there's a reason our deck's probably running like three Noxious Grasps and like the Ray of Enfeeblement and all that kind of stuff, right? I didn't have any of that stuff. What? I sh- I should have some more. Honestly, I just kill all the ramp, the small creatures, and then Winota itself can't really do all that much on its own. Yeah, you know. So yeah, I think I think unless you're playing removal pile, Winota is outrageously strong. Yeah, um, really, really quite good. And I think it's on most people's short list for like probably should and will be banned at some point if we're starting to pay attention to this format more strongly. Mono red, I think, feels surprisingly decent. Um, it's I know it's doing really well in a lot of people's best of one reporting. I haven't messed around with it in the best of one, but some people are like, yeah, this, I won my fifth event. My fifth yeah. best of one event with with mono red uh, aggro. So is this like uh, low to the ground ones and twos, or is this up to Torbrand? It's like it's like, it's mostly the one. It's like it's essentially a lot like the historic one or the pioneer one we've been playing, Stan. Where it's like the or the historic version where it's like you know your your Kari Zevs, your Bonecrusher Giants, your um, Soulscar Mages, and. Kumano faces Kakazan and stuff like that. I think it's just in, in Chandra three. 
And it's just no Monastery Swift Spear, but all the other cards. Yeah, basically. no, well, no Eidolon either. It's kind of no a Eidolon. big loss. Yeah, but it's like good enough because um, I mean, I've been playing a very similar deck in Historic, and I think it does get the job done a lot. So. I, I think if I do ever have a reason to mess around with best of one, like if I just want to bust out a best of one event, I will 100% be taking mono red because I know how to play it. This is the next deck I'm going to craft just because. Why not? You know, why not? You need exactly. a fast. You need a fast one. Yeah, I, I got another one that I faced a few times that I've been impressed with, and that's called Mardu Greasefang. Okay. Mm. Like they just combo really quickly, and then Parhelion two plus <laughs> eight power of angels like is good. Yeah, I've seen, this, I've seen a surprisingly light amount of Grease Fang in my games. I lost. That was one of the decks that I lost to when I was playing uh, this week, and I um, I definitely, it definitely makes me feel like I should have at least one Bedevil main or some mm-hmm. something so that I can have some out to an artifact. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I wonder what if it's instead of Bedevil, it's just like Coligan's Command a, or a very cheap form of Graveyard Hate, like that's Lantern. Well, you know? so you already have. There's already Graveyard Hate here and you have a graveyard trespasser so you have some main deck graveyard stuff it's just like one extra release valve yeah k command is probably the juice hive of the the tyrants is also fun it's a nice one yeah have you guys seen a lot of the fires of invention deck because i've been seeing a lot of fires i lost to that too yeah yeah i mean just it outvalues what we're doing so hard it's i mean this this card's dangerous. Like it's definitely a card with busted potential. It's banned in historic. It was banned in standard. standard. Is that correct? Yeah, so it was. just like yep. this this card has a lot of potential. The fires strategies and what it does is is pretty wild. So uh, pack your enchantment hate in your sideboard because I think people like playing this strategy for sure. Like I definitely got some feed the swarms in my sideboard now. A lot of Rakdos mid. I played a lot of mirrors and Rakdos sack, of course. I haven't seen a lot of sack. Interestingly, how are you feeling? Like its power level is it feels like the same deck to me. <laughs> I mean, it just feels like a more consistent version because it has Oni Cult too, yeah. and so they're kind of doing all those things. But um, it feels mostly like the same deck as it always felt like. You know what was frustrating to face down was Mono Blue Spirits. Yeah, like it's just okay. like really the counterspell package is so strong. The the flash abilities are strong. The mana leak effect. You know the. The Geist Light, yeah, Geist Light. It's it's outrageous. Like it just it feels it feels cheaper than it is. Even like you just have to play around it so annoyingly. Um, well, that's the real issue with like a blue tempo deck, right? It's just like having the false tempo that it creates, where it's like I'd like to feel like I can just jam into this and make them have it, but if they do, I am screwed. And like. Or like if they flash in a rattle chains here, that I'm also kind of screwed. Like you yeah. have to you have to worry about your timing so much more significantly, and it kind of is a is a real drag. And they can just have it when they need it often. And uh, I think it's a I think it's a pretty strong deck. I think it's another reason that's strong is like Azorius is lacking a true four mana sweeper, mm-hmm. and the creatures can grow out of the damage based sweepers range. I think pretty yeah. quickly, and so I think it makes this the creature is here pretty sticky more than usual and i think that makes it a potentially stronger option than it might be in real pioneer honestly yeah 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 one of the cards i've been seeing the explore version play is spectral adversary mm-hmm. like is is that putting in the work because it, it costs four mana just to like make this a three two flash and then phase out something yeah i the list that i started out with so i've i've played this a little a little bit i played it 
after Explore was announced, but before the format was there. So I was playing it in Historic. And um, it is pricey. Adversary is pricey. And I think it's a nice thing to have like a one-of, like the Pioneer list that we see have it as a one-of. But, um, you know, I, I, th- I don't think it's a staple. I think it's just a good option to have around for now. And speaking of Azorius Control, I did see a lot of that. Um, the main thing I want to talk about in that deck is Wandering Emperor. Because I feel like Wandering Emperor is, as Stan thought it would be, at least in Pioneer, is it's a real threat. Like it's it it does something novel that I think a lot of Azorius Planeswalkers didn't do before, which is create an army in a can, and that can be really frustrating for a deck that needs removal. So like it's it's just a once it's a must remove threat that has vigilance threat like you know blockers and so it's it's doing a lot i think for the format yeah and then last couple decks that we've we're seeing around is it dragons which is really cool and arcolite phoenix of course lots of flying threats is it dragons is actually the deck that i'm playing i've got going in an event right now sweet and it's fun no new cards but it is fun nice and then Grease Fang, like we talked about, and Green Ramp, people are still trying that strategy. It's funny, when you look at this list that you put together, Shane, pretty much just feels like like Pioneer without Lotus Field to me in some ways. Like, it's people trying most of the decks Fine that with are me. in Pioneer except for Lotus. Uh, but speaking of Pioneer, Stan, I know you were doing some, you've been doing some fun stuff in Pioneer with new cards. What have you been up to? Oh, guys, I did the thing that we never do. You brewed. I I brewed. I brooded. I did a brooded. Oh no! Wrong podcast, buddy. I Call know. Dan. Cave Dan, if you're listening, have me on the show. I need your help. You know the the reason we never brew is just because like it's it's not often that inspiration strikes. But I guess I was in the right time in the right place when I found out about a little card called Getaway Car. So I'm going to read this one really quick because we did not talk about it in our spoiler episode. It's a three generic mana vehicle, four, three, haste, crew one. And when getaway car attacks or blocks, you can return up to one target creature that crewed it this turn to its owner's hand. Uh, and, and you must return that creature. It's not a man ability. Um, and when I saw that card, I just thought it was really neat. Um, and I don't know what it is about it that struck me, but... I thought it was a nice new three-man addition into this family of cards that we see Soul Herder and Eldrazi Displacer, just something that, you know, wants to maximize blinking stuff. And as I started kind of just like thinking about what would have to make this card good, it really just felt like everything I'd want to play was Pioneer Legal. So that's what I ended up doing. I will say the thing that I find really interesting about this card, and I think the actual line that made me interested in the first place is that it's swings for four, but it's a crew one. And that's such a low hurdle to, to jump over that it seemed like it's worth trying to make that good. And it has see, haste too, doesn't it? Does it have haste? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Which is sweet. Yeah. 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 So just to run down really quickly what the deck I put, put together to test this theory it's essentially a black white deck with just creatures that can trip when they enter the battlefield so i got four copies of spirited companion which is that one one enchantment dog when it enters you draw a card and four copies of dark legion zealot and four copies of thraven inspector 
So those are my cantrippers. I put four copies of Charming Prince in there just because that card does a lot. Um, works well with my other blinkers. Um, filters my draws. Sometimes it buffers my life total. And then I also realized that like if I don't have Getaway Car, I need to make these really bad creatures good. So I threw an Intrepid Adversary. That's so a cool this, card. It is a cool card. This is from Adventures of the Forgotten Realm. One in a white for a 3-1 lifelinker. When it enters the battlefield, you may pay one in a white any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many Valor counters on it. And creatures you control get plus one, plus one for each Valor counter on it. And then um, to round it out, I got some wedding announcements to make more tokens. And then also buff all my creatures, Skyclave Apparitions. Um, And another new card I tried is Extraction Specialist which is two and a white for a 3-2 lifelinker when specialist enters the battlefield, return target creature with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. That creature can't attack or block for as long as you control extraction specialist, but that creature can crew. And usually that creature draws me a card anyway. So I think you kind of get the gist, right? Like I'm, I'm trying to find cheap creatures with, with value-esque ETB effects. In the case of Skyclave Apparition, maybe it helps get blockers out of the way or answer other problematic permanents. And I ran it through a league, and I got a 3-2. I burritoed. Nice. Brew validated. Brew validated. And I got to say, like, when I first put this deck... when I first, Yeah, it's the truth. When I first put this deck together, I was very honest with myself, and I was like, this just looks like a kitchen table deck, if I'm being truly honest with myself. Like, I didn't think I was doing anything particularly, like, explosive or, or uniquely powerful. I just thought, like, it was a fun thing to play casually. And then I shared it with the discord and like Mickey and Emma kind of were into it. And Spencer, like they gave me very positive reinforcement. So then I just like kept thinking about it. And also because I built a black white deck, like I thought the mana was really good. And I think that's, that's something that's really important with just brews in general. Like if you can have good mana, I think that adds like some percentage points to it. Man, don't get greedy. You have the four fast lands, you got the shock lands, you got the new shattered, slow land the shattered sanctums and then you have some like pretty good creature lands i played one hive and one a couple cave of frost dragon and then four bright climb pathway um and one of the reasons the mana is so good is that main deck you only run one black card the dusk legion zealot and everything else is white so as long as you have like a single black source or maybe two if you're replaying dark legion zealot with one of your other blink effects like it just everything is super super castable um, I should add my top end was Wandering Emperor just like to have a good card in there. Yeah. You got to play good. that one. Yeah. So the results of my league, I mentioned I got a 3-2. I lost to Mono Green and I lost to Is It Dragons, the Aspiring Spike deck. So I figured like maybe I can't beat aggro and like I had either need to fix my sideboard or, you know, play some kind of sweeper or more removal spells. I don't know. I did end up beating Lotus Field, 2-0, Blue-White Control, 2-1, and then I beat Mono Red, 2-0. Yeah, so like maybe the right draws can actually beat some aggro decks Real in decks. the case of Mono Red. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Did you have fun? Was it fun? I, it was a lot of fun, yeah. And the games were grindy. And maybe that's what you should expect from a deck full of like 1-1s that do not much else other than draw you a card. Ultimately, here's what I found. Getaway car is fine. And the thing that it was really best at is A, redrawing these cantrippers to like draw into other good stuff. Um, and B, it just trades with everything. 
So the fact that it's for power, like people know that you kind of have to block it, because otherwise it's just going to keep drawing you cards. But whenever they block it, it's killing whatever's blocking it. So it's this removal spell that is that can sometimes cantrip for you. And for that reason, it turned out to be somewhat playable. Extraction Specialist was also pretty cool. Just 3-2 Lifelinker, like those are decent stats. Um, and because every time you're casting it, you're like you're bringing something back that gets you through your deck more. One of the reasons why I was able to be Control and, and Lotus Field, at least, is I just ended up um, burying my opponents in card advantage. Like, I would have a full hand, and my Control opponent was Hellbent. Wow. Okay. Which is just a, a position that I never thought I'd be in. And here we are talking about it. The cards that really impressed me the most, though, were Intrepid Adversary and Wedding Announcement as these like aggressive, proactive ways to make my board huge. And I shared this one screenshot in our Pioneer channel where it's I won a game against Angels in, a, in another league I did that I haven't finished yet, where I just have a board full of like five fives and six sixes. And that includes my Spirited Companions and Charming Princes, just because it went long enough that I was able to flip a wedding announcement and play like a really big intrepid adversary. And that's sort of what I think this deck does is that it takes like this white weenies aggressive strategy, lets you see a lot of your deck so that if you need Skyclave Apparitions or if you need a Wandering Emperor, your chances are higher to find them. And then eventually, like if you're able to remain somewhat stable, you can actually turn all of your cheap to one and two drops into like very potent threats that'll just kind of one shot the opponent. Hmm. I hadn't really looked at wedding announcement before. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Here's what I'll say. The hard part about brewing is not coming up with a deck and like a cool card that you build a synergy around. I think the hardest part for me at least is the polishing and like being really honest with myself about what's putting in the most work, what you lean into and how you start solving problems. And that's the thing that I think the good brewers excel at and the bad brewers just, at least in my case, like maybe it's I'm lacking the wealth of knowledge of synergies and like actual untapped potential about cards that we don't see in the metagame to, to, to hearken towards. Um, maybe it's just a matter of playing a lot of leagues and just taking good notes about like what cards are unimpressive and what cards actually pull their weight. In this case, it's hard because none of the cards are impressive. Like I'm playing fourth Raven Inspector and then hey. hoping I recast <laughs> them over and over. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I can invite myself onto Faithless Brewing and they can teach me how to brew because if nothing else, like not only was this card, the cards I played fun, the deck actually managed to close out against like real op- opponents playing actual meta strategies. And what I ultimately found was this thing can grind. And what you lose to is the the decks that just go bigger than you. And maybe there's a way to either square that circle or find a way to like, if I'm drawing all these cards, like actually find some kind of combo off approach that wins the game because I have all these powerful ETB effects and exploits that facet. Maybe it's a book of exalted deeds and Mutavolt or something like that. <laughs> some, like yeah. in the side as well or something. I don't know. I'll, um, if I keep playing it, I'll let, I'll let you know what I find. Maybe, maybe I can challenge myself to f- squeeze out a trophy and then someone else will notice it and we'll iterate on it. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's, that closes out our show for this, for this week. We will of course be back next week with, I'm sure more new cards about from streets of new Capenna. See how things shake, shake out after there's an actual uh, full week. You know, there's an, there was a 5k at SCG today that ended today that we haven't got a chance to dive into the um, dive into the 
results too much of. So there's going to be a lot of data coming up. Let's see what happens. Let's see if Luxier shows up in modern. Let's see what other things we're waiting to see. But I think, you know, strong first week for Obnick's list. Strong first week for Stan's brew. <laughs> see where it goes from there. One QP, baby. Nice. All right, that does wrap up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. If you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave us a rating and review. Also, make sure to check out our Twitter account because we are going to be posting some giveaways there from the Beetle and Grimm Kamigawa Platinum Edition. Got some posters, deck box sleeves, bunch of stuff that I don't want, but maybe someone else out there does. Find us over at the Dive Down, all one word. Of course, you can also email the dive down at gmail.com if you ever want to reach out to us for any other reason. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can even support us while playing Magic with the Mana Traders account using promo code the dive down 2022. All one word gets you 15% off your first two months of renting Magic online cards. You can use that same code over at Barrister and Man to get 15% off your first order of a Barrister and Man product, shaving soap, other fragrances, regular soap for your body, aftershave. They got it all over at Barrister and Man. Again, that promo code is the Dive Down 2022. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and play more. Ops. been listening to cool dax inc with dave the godfather sleeve it up sleeve it